Would you turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles today, if you have a phone or a tablet, however you can access the Word of God, I always encourage you to bring your Bibles if you can today. If you're new to Grace, we're going to put a lot of these scriptures up on the screen as well. Turn to John chapter 4 and then also Luke chapter 17. John chapter 4 and then Luke chapter number 17 as well. I want to give you a little bit of background. I've been talking about worship And we're going to talk about worship again today, and then next week we're going to conclude it. And I understand that when you entitle a sermon, worship, it is all-encompassing. Now, how many of you know we worship God, really, with everything that we do that honors Him? So we had people this morning serving uh, in the food pantry, putting food boxes together to give to the needy. How many of you know that's worship? Amen. We had ladies uh, in the nursery working uh, with the kids and teaching our kids. How many know that's worship? It's all worship. But when I talk about worship during this series, I'm specifically talking about the opportunity that you have to give God praise with your voice, with your hands lifted up, right? I'm talking about that specifically, that worship. So in John chapter 4... There's an incredible encounter that Jesus has, and he has it on purpose. He meets with a woman, which in these days was taboo. A man did not talk to a woman by themselves, right? And Jesus is alone talking to a woman, and on top of that, he's a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan. Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And so they're sitting by a well, and Jesus takes this conversation from natural water, talking about the well, he takes it and he turns it to a spiritual context, and he talks about living water on the inside. Now watch what happens. John chapter 4, he's talking about this living water, and in verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. Now let's pause for just a minute. She actually says to him what I kind of look at like, how do I get saved? I mean, give me this living water that you were just talking about. How many of you know this is the easiest evangelistic, you know, opportunity I've seen Jesus have? It's basically... The fish jumping in the boat. How do I get saved? I mean, who is going to walk away unsaved from this opportunity, right? And so you think this is easy, just lead her in a prayer. You don't even have to go down the Romans road map. You don't even have to talk about justification, righteousness. I mean, just lead her in a prayer, Jesus. But Jesus says, well, first, go call your husband. Oh, here we go, right? Because we're going to deal with some things. So he says to her, go call your husband. And the woman answered, verse 17, and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Huh? So here's Jesus saying to her, oh, no, no, you say you have no husband. Now that's true in the technical term. But how many of you know that's not the whole story? Huh? The whole story is you've had five husbands. You're living with a man outside of wedlock right now. And she says back to him, 
Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, this is interesting. This is important. She says to Jesus, you are a prophet. The very next thing that she is going to say is of the utmost importance because she is face to face with someone who talks to God. She's face to face with someone who can hear from God. She is face to face with someone who can peek into her soul, who can read her, who knows everything about her. She cannot lie. She cannot misrepresent herself, right? Here she is having a divine encounter. And she says to him next, where do I worship? That's the very next thing she says. Watch it. She says, verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father for you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews But the hour is coming and now is. Come on, somebody say, now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. She has the opportunity to ask him anything. Anything. Now, you have to think about a woman who's gone from relationship to relationship to relationship, from hurt to hurt to hurt. I don't know why she lost five husbands. Maybe some of them passed away. Maybe it was through no fault of her own. Maybe it just happened. But I imagine that at least one, if not more of the five, walked away from her leaving her broken, scarred, bruised, right? And here she is with all of these questions about her past. Was I not good enough? What happened to Bill? What happened to Steve? What happened to Fred? And what about Larry, that turkey that I'm living with right now? What about him? Is this the one? I mean, that'd be a great question. Is this the one? But she doesn't ask any of those questions. She simply asks, where can I worship? Because I believe that inside of us, and I say us here in this church, but I also mean the guy at Home Depot who hasn't given God a thought in a year. I'm talking about the woman who's sitting at home who could care less about God or religion. I believe that inside of all of us, there is a worshiper that wants to get out. Amen? There is something inside of us that wants to connect with God on a very real, intimate level. And this woman had no other question but where where can I worship? Where? Where can I worship? And Jesus says back to her, it is not about a place. It's not about a place. See, here's what happens. When we take worship and we make it only about a place, when we make it about four walls, right? 
When we make it about a Sunday morning experience, when we make it about a 9 a.m. start time and a 9.20 stop time, it's the greatest hindrance we could ever do to worship. The greatest hindrance we could ever do to worship is to make it about a certain time and a certain place. Listen, if you make worship about four walls, you will always need four walls to worship. And you need to get to that place. And here's why we're doing this series. Because I want you to get to a place where you can go beyond the four walls of this building. Go beyond the four walls even of your house. I'm talking about in your car, in a park, wherever you are. Listen, you can always worship God. It is never about a where. It's never about where. She asked the wrong question. Jesus takes the question and turns it and says, listen, lady, you're asking the wrong question. It is not about where, it is about how in spirit and why in truth. That's what worship is. It is the how and it is the why. How do we worship him? We worship him in spirit. Why do we worship him? We worship him in truth. That's what I want to talk about today because, listen, I believe, I just believe with all my heart that those who struggle with worship have not yet been fully exposed to truth. That's what I believe. If you can keep your hands down, If you can let song after song pass you by without any response from your physical body, from your emotions, listen, then you have not yet been fully exposed to truth. Because John chapter 8 says this, Jesus is talking, he says, if you abide in my words, my words abide in you, listen, you're going to be my disciples, watch this, and you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Listen, the worshiper that's inside of you, how does he get set free? The worshiper that is inside of you, ladies, how does she get set free? She gets set free. Listen, guys, he gets set free by being exposed to truth. It is a truth encounter. When I was 14 years old and I struggled with worship, I just couldn't lift my hands. I was too embarrassed. I was too ashamed of what people thought about me. I remember looking to my left and looking to my right, just making sure my friends weren't here. The problem I had is I was not yet exposed to truth, but when truth came into my life, it set the worshiper free. Hallelujah. All of a sudden, I could lift my hands and I could say, listen, I have been exposed to who God is. I see the truth of what he's done for me and now I can lift my hands because I've been set free. The truth has caused the worshiper inside of me to come out. Somebody say hallelujah. It is a truth encounter. Amen. Amen. It's a truth encounter. Hallelujah. Here's why we worship God. Number one, we worship God when we see who he is. I worship God. Here's why. I just see who he is. Hallelujah. I I, I get exposed to who he is. The truth of who he is just comes into focus in my life. And the second reason is I see what he's done for me. I see what he has done for me. 
Listen, when I could see those things clearly, when the truth, when the truth, when the truth of what he has done for me becomes vivid in my life, I cannot keep my hands down. I cannot let songs pass me by. I cannot let opportunities to worship him pass me by because I have been exposed to truth and I will forever be changed. Truth always liberates. Truth always sets free. That's why the devil works so hard to get you to believe a lie because if he can get you to believe a lie, he can keep you bound up. But God says this, I'm going to bring truth into the world. That's why Jesus himself said, not that I have truth. Listen now, I am truth. Amen. I have come to show people who God is and then he came to do what God wanted him to do for us. Amen. It was a truth encounter that Jesus came to this earth to show us. Amen. It's all about truth. And I want to take you to a scripture this morning. If you give me about 10 more minutes, I want to take you to a scripture this morning that maybe you've seen before, but I want you to look at it in light of worship. If you have your Bibles today, go to Luke chapter number 17. And I want to give you just a little bit of backstory before we read. Here is Jesus now. And really, at this particular time, he's coming to the end of his ministry. He is on his way to Jerusalem for the very last time. He is only months away from going to the cross. And on his way to Jerusalem, he goes through a village. Now watch this. Luke chapter number, Luke 17, verse number 11 says this. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. Now let's pause for just a minute right here. They had a disease called leprosy. Leprosy uh, was believed to not just be a skin disease, but it was a result of sin. In fact, there were four different aspects to leprosy. First of all, number one, it was incurable. They believed it was absolutely incurable. Once a leper, always a leper. So you were shunned. You were ostracized from society. You were cut off from life. You could not communicate with anyone. You could not be with your friends. You could not be with your families. You lived in a leper colony. Everything about your life was radically changed the minute you were diagnosed with this incurable disease. If you were approached by somebody or somehow, some way, you came across somebody who was not leprous, you had to yell out at the top of your lungs, unclean, right? It it was a societal disease. They believed it was incurable. They also believed it was a result of sin. You had sinned in your life, and because of this sin, leprosy was upon you. The third thing about it was it was a curse. They believed it was a result of a curse. You were cursed, and once cursed, always cursed. The last thing about leprosy is they believed that leprosy was a judgment of God. God was judging you. Because of that judgment now, here is your penalty. This is the price that you're going to pay. This is the rest of your life. You're literally dead to your family. Your life as you know it is over. And there approached Jesus 10 lepers. Verse number 12 says, or verse number 13 says, And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks And he was a Samaritan. Let's stop right here. The Bible says, as they went, as they went, on their way, they were healed. And now Luke is writing this gospel. And he always, in his gospel, you'll find that he gives specifics. When Jesus heals a hand, Luke will say, it's a left hand. And he says this very specifically about this man He points out that this man was a Samaritan. So the fact that Luke pointed this out makes it obvious that the other nine were not. They were Jewish. One Samaritan and nine Jews. And it is a Samaritan who comes back. It is a Samaritan who returns. It is a Samaritan who comes and the Bible says he falls on his face before Jesus. And with a... Loud voice. Come on now. Loud voice. Huh? Some of y'all walk around going, I don't know why we got to get all loud in this church. I, I mean, why, why do they got to get all loud? Why is that person screaming? Why does that person lift their voice? Why is that person so emotional? You know what I'm saying? I mean, why can't they just be quiet? Why can't just be quiet? And the church I grew up in, we were quiet. We never lifted our voice for anything. I mean, why do guys get so emotional? And I always say it like this. Listen, if it's necessary... It's necessary. Come on now. I said, if it is necessary, then it is necessary. And this man just felt that it was necessary. I've got to lift my voice. I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful that the Bible says he returned. He returned. And with a loud voice. Hallelujah. He lifted praise to Jesus, right? And Jesus turns to this man, this Samaritan, watch this, and he asks three questions, three questions. The first question in verse 17, were there not 10 cleansed? Huh? How many of you know that's a rhetorical question? How many know Jesus knew the answer to that one before he asked the question? Jesus was not fishing for information. Was it six? How many? How many? Was it five? I was off a little bit today. I only had one cup of coffee. Was it three? Well, how many? How many? How many know Jesus knew that all of them were healed? He was ten for ten. Jesus is always ten for ten. Listen, Jesus is perfect. If he played golf, his score would be eighteen. Come on now, he he get a hole in one on every. Come on, every time. That's Jesus. He's 10 for 10, and he says to this man, we're not 10 cleansed? Watch this. Next question. Where are the other nine? Where are they? Where are they? And when Jesus asked that question, I believe it was about more than geographics. He didn't really want to know were they at the dinner table? Were they at the pub? Did they make it to the temple? He wanted to know where they are internally. Did you hear me now? It's not about longitude and latitude. 
really. He wanted to know what's their heart, what's going on in the inside of them. Where are they? Where are they? And the last question was, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus says this last question, were there not any found? Is there, is there no reason? Is there no reason inside of them? Come on now. Is there no reason inside of them to return? Don't they have a reason to come back? Was there nothing found, listen, on the inside of them? Was there nothing inside of them that made them want to turn around and say, before I do anything else, before I do anything else, I need to go back to him, back to him and give him thanks for what he did for me, right? And listen, when I find myself ever struggling with worship, if I ever get to a place where I'm just not feeling it, if I ever get to a place where I just will let songs pass me by, if I ever struggle to keep my hands, uh, put my hands in the air, if, if I find myself distracted, I have to ask myself these three questions again. And the first question I ask myself is, did he cleanse me? Did he cleanse me? Huh? And I don't mean, did he, did he just kind of make things better in my life? Did he, did he do some home improvement on me? No, I mean this. I was dead. I had an incurable disease and a death sentence. And at eight years old, when I, sur- when I surrendered my life to him, I was just as lost and just as dead as some guy strung out on the street who's made a million mistakes. I was just as dead as that person. I had the same disease he has. It's called sin. And it is incurable. And if I ever find myself struggling to worship him, I just have to ask myself, did he cleanse me? Did he cleanse me? Did he heal me? Not physically, I'm talking about spiritually. Huh? And then I ask myself, Brian, where are you? Where are you? Not about a building, not about longitude and latitude. He's not looking for a pinpoint. Where is my heart today? Where are you, Brian? Where are you at? What's going on in your life? Is there anything that would be more important than this moment? Is there anything that takes my place? He's asking me those questions. He just wants to know where I am. And then the third question I ask myself is the same one Jesus asked. Is there any reason? Is there anything found in me? Huh? Do I have a reason to praise God? Do I have a reason to lift my hands? Huh? Have I, have I been exposed to truth of who God is and what he has done for me? Right? Because here's what he's done for me. He's done the same for me that he did for that leper. He healed me, number one, of an incurable disease. He healed me. He healed me and he forgave me. And here's what he did for me. He broke the curse of sin off of my life. Because I was cursed. Sin leaves a curse on our life. And Jesus broke it. And he removed from me the judgment of sin, the penalty of sin. 
And he showed compassion and mercy on me. Now what's interesting about the last question that Jesus asked is he said this, were there not anybody else found? Is there nothing inside of anybody else there? Was there nothing inside of them that wanted to return and worship except this foreigner? It's almost an offensive word. This alien, this stranger, huh? But Jesus uses that word for a reason. Because inscribed on the walls of the temple are these words, no foreigner shall enter. As a Samaritan, he was forbidden to even go to the temple. He couldn't pass through those gates, huh? And he said, I may not be allowed in that dead, dry, religious place, but I know where I can worship. I can worship anywhere Jesus is. Did you hear me? It's never about four walls. Huh? I can worship anywhere Jesus is because Jesus has never passed me by. Listen to me, church. Listen to me. When you were at your worst, he didn't pass you by. When you were careless about the things of God, when you weren't thinking about God, he did not pass you by. And if you could ever see, listen to me, if you could ever see the truth of how loving and compassionate God is, then you will be exposed to a truth that sets the worshiper inside of you free. Listen to me, church. Here's why we worship. We found truth. I had leprosy. Jesus healed my life, and he restored me. Listen, we sang it this morning. He has taken my pain, my shame, my sickness, my sin, he took it all away, and he restored my life. Now, here's my question. Here's my question. How can I not worship? How can I keep my hands down? How can I stand there and just read words on a screen and not let them penetrate my heart? I want to ask you this morning, would you do this? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment today? I believe, I believe with all of my heart there's a worshiper inside of you. You say, Pastor, it's not my personality. It's just not how I operate. No, 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 no. I told you, there is inside of all of us this desire to connect with God on a very intimate level. I'm not saying you have to pretend to be somebody you're not or pretend to be something, but... All of us are called to worship. Before we can get to the how, before we ever get to the how, we have to understand the why. Because the how we worship will never make sense. It will never make sense until we understand the why. Because If you don't get the why, somebody who is going for it in worship looks foolish to you. 
They just look foolish to you. That's what happened in the Bible when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. The Bible says this, David danced with all his might and his new bride looked at him through a window and said, he looks foolish. She didn't get the why. She wasn't exposed to truth. David understood who God was and what God has done for him. It's the truth. With your head bowed and eyes closed, first let me ask you today, 